I like to tell stories. And when I say tell stories, I don't necessarily mean, you know, made up ones. <laughs> I like to. Uh, uh, my favorite reading is biographies. I like to read about what God did in the lives of people, whether that be people in the Bible or people in other, in other realms of, uh, of God's work. I, I love reading biographies. They're my favorite, favorite kind of reading. I like, uh, I like, I like teaching about uh, how God used, used other people. You know, um, uh, sometimes we hear the things that God will do and the promises he makes, and we go, yeah, but yeah, that's, uh, he wouldn't do that for me. And then we find out that he did it for very ordinary people who just trusted him, believed in him, and, and, and did what he said. And um, I know all the time, I, I, I deal with people all the time who say, well, you know, they're, they're, they're discouraged or defeated. I said, well, have you prayed about it? I said, well, I believe God answers prayer. I just don't think he'll answer mine. I said, is there a reason he won't answer yours? Are you not right with God? Are you just sin in your life that you can confess and, and deal with? And No, no, I just, I'm just not important enough. God's not a respecter of persons. God will use anybody who will allow themselves to be used. Um, I don't know if I'll... I don't know if I'll get to it one 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 service this this week, but um, I believe when I was here for the anniversary in '96, I believe I I, I I I preached a message about the madman of Gadara. I don't know if any of you that might have been here remember that, but um, in that message, I I, I give a lot of uh, a lot of information about my personal. I identify with the madman, you know. <laughs> uh, you think a guy that was raised up, I mean, a guy that was living in the tombs, uh, running around the, uh, the cemetery naked, cutting himself with stones and screaming in the night, and, uh, and the Lord told him, go home to your friends. How many friends do you think that guy had? I mean, how many people, how many people do you think hung out with him on Friday night, you know? And so, but of course, it meant go home and tell all of your quits, everybody you know, and he began to publish all of uh, Decapolis. Well, I feel like I can identify with that because I don't feel I had much to give the Lord. I'll tell you just a very quick little bit. I, I, I grew up stuttering very badly when I was a kid and in my teenage years and into my adult years. I had a, a serious stutter problem. And um, uh, I went to two years of speech therapy at the University of Washington Speech Therapy Clinic in Seattle. Another two years, once a week, through my uh, through uh, the public school system, they would take me out of class once a week, and and four years of speech therapy, none of it helped me. I entered my adult years still still stuttering, quite a bit, and um, and uh, I won't go through. I've got a <laughs> a lot of funny stories to tell you about when I was uh, the kind of things that happened when I stuttered, but um, but uh, uh, but when I got saved. I began to feel like I just wanted to serve the Lord. I just wanted to give my life to Him. But I knew I couldn't preach. You have to be able to talk to preach, and I couldn't talk, so I knew I wouldn't be able to preach. But, so when I surrendered and told the Lord I wanted to serve Him, I was thinking I could, maybe I'll be a plumber on a mission field somewhere. Maybe I'll just be, maybe I can even get in a, you know, you'll be, be a pilot and fly people into places. And, and, uh, but, of course, pilot has to get on the, on the, you know, on, uh, uh, the radio, and I thought, boy, if I ever had an emergency there, and I just, you know, you go, hi, I'm going, da, 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 you know, it'd be, it'd be all over. But so that maybe that wouldn't work. But I, I didn't imagine ever preaching. And one day I was reading my Bible, 
And uh, if you don't want to do the will of God, don't read your Bible. It messes you up every single time. <laughs> and uh, I was reading my Bible, and I happened to be in the book of Exodus, in the opening chapters of Exodus. And I had been kind of debating with the Lord, Lord, I can't, I, I can't preach. I, I can't talk. The worst thing you could do to me, the worst torture you could ever do to me would be to put me in front of a crowd and say, say something. And I was, in, I was in high school, and a lot of my teachers let me hand in book reports when others had to do them orally. They knew that I wouldn't be able to do that, so they let me write them out and hand them in. But one teacher said, no, you need to get through this. You need to do it orally like everyone else. And you're, you're, you're going to think I'm exaggerating, and I would probably, if I was hearing somebody say this and hearing someone talk normally but tell me how bad they say, I probably think it was an exaggeration, but it's not. I stood up that day in class and I said, the name of my book is, and I couldn't get the name out. I stopped and I tried to gather my breath and I did the same thing again, the same exact way, and I couldn't get the name out. And finally, I just turned to the teacher and said, I, 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 I can't. And I sat down, give me the zero if you want, but I can't do this. That was public speaking to me. And so uh, when I began to feel like God was calling me to preach, as again, I, I argued with him, I debated it, I said, I can't, I can't do that. And then I read where Moses Told the, uh, told the Lord, but I'm of a slow tongue. In the center column reference of the Bible I had at that time when I was, that I was reading, there was a note. There was a little letter by, by, uh, by, um, uh, by slow tongue, and in the center column it said stammerer. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a technical difference. You wouldn't notice it somebody speaking, but there's a technical difference between stuttering and stammering. They're not just two different words for the same thing. And I was a stammerer. And when I saw that Moses was a stammerer, and God didn't let Moses out, <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on my sofa, and I took my Bible, and I dropped it in my lap. I went, you got to be kidding. <laughs> and this is the way that I surrendered the Lord. Seriously, these are the words I said. I dropped the Bible in my lap. And I said, okay, Lord. If you want me to stand up and make a fool of you and me both for the rest of my life, that's just what I'll do. Because I never thought there would be a time where I could speak clearly and not stutter. Trying to get a word started was difficult. You, you, you try you know, to kind of prime the pump, get some, get some sound coming out if I couldn't say the word. And so I'd go, uh, uh, uh you know, like I'm thinking. And... Uh, that, that, that sounds intelligent. You ask me a question, I go, uh, I'm thinking about it, right? But when I go, uh, and the word doesn't come, and I go, uh, and the word doesn't come, I go, uh, 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 oh, 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 just, just give me a beach ball, you know. I just, that's how I felt about public speaking. I felt I'm a clown. And we entered the ministry. When I went to the, when we started our church, I was still stuttering. One man came to our church. His wife had come visit our church in the neighborhood where we started, and she went home and he said, "How was church day?" She said, "You're not gonna believe this. Their preacher stutters." 
He said, why would anybody go into a public speaking profession who stutters? And if I'd have been sitting there, I could have said, amen. I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> but he said, I got to go hear this. And he came, not for spiritual reasons. He came to hear the stuttering preacher the next Sunday. And he got saved. Amen. Became a dear friend. Um, uh, it just, uh, God just, God just, uh, just used it. And, and um, little by little, he took it away. I, I never got healed. I've never been in a line where somebody hit me in the forehead and say, you know, stutter, be gone. You know, just no. I've been hit in the forehead a few times, but not for spiritual reasons. So. But, uh, but that's, that's, that's just this, that's the simple uh, testimony. There's so much more to it that I could, I could tell you. But so when I thought about, when I thought about, what the madman had to offer the Lord, I thought, I, have, I had nothing to offer the Lord. Uh, I couldn't even talk. But he gave his life to the Lord. He was obedient. I want to ask you this question. What, what motivates you to serve the Lord? We're all motivated by something. Every person here is motivated by something to bring you here tonight. It may be mom and dad motivated you. <laughs> it may be a spouse motivated you. It may be that, uh, well, you're kind of expected. You have a job in the church. It's like the guy that went home and said, he, uh, he told his wife when she tried to wake him up from his nap for Sunday evening service, he said, I'm not going tonight. And she said, she said you're not going. He said, I'm, I'm not going. I don't want to go back. And she said, come on, you got to get up and go. No, I don't have to get up and go. Why do I have to get up and go? And she said, well, there's three reasons why you got to get up and go. Number one, it's the right thing to do. Number two, there's people depending on you. Number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, we, we, something motivates us. Well, I want to tell you a story tonight that I think really speaks to my heart about the motivation to serve the Lord. Would you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 31? We'll begin reading in verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Machashua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Do you know what it means, the thought of falling upon your own sword? Literally, um, uh, swords were often very, very long swords, and it wasn't something he could pick up, and, and, and they, would, they, would, they would lay it against, put the handle against a, a rock or a, 
or the base of a tree or something that would not let it give and they would thrust their body upon it when they talk about falling on your own sword. And so his armor bearer wouldn't do it, so he figured I would do it himself. And it says, so Saul died. Excuse me, verse 5. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Let's pause here and then I want to talk about it for a few minutes. Father, we th- uh, thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth of your word. And, you, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to, uh, 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 to gain understanding of this matter so that we can uh, maybe see how it ought to motivate, how we ought to, be, to uh, be motivated to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. And we'll thank you for it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just read the story of, or the, uh, the, uh, the account of, um, of, uh, um, of Saul's uh, death and that of his sons, his three sons, the same day with him and his armor bearer and many of their men. We read how, the, how, how they, were, they, were, they, they were routed by the Philistines and they fled the area and the Philistines came in and they, they took, uh, uh, they, they took uh, control of many of the towns around there. The Bible says in verse 7, And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, They forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. This was a complete victory for the Philistines. They had been defeated many times by Israel, but this time they defeated Israel soundly and convincingly. But something happened. The Bible says, and it came to pass on the morrow, that when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul... And his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. Can you imagine? You know, we, uh, we know the terminology, to the, to, the, to the victor go the spoils. The spoils of war were the things that were valuable to the soldier. They would go through, and as they go through a battlefield, they would, they would go through the different, uh, the different fallen soldiers and even check their pockets. Did they have any money in their pockets? Did they have boots that they could use? They could, you know, we had... Uh, we had many, many folks came back from, uh, from, uh, from World War II, being in Germany. They come back with a German Luger or, or, a, or, or a bayonet of some kind or something, some, some, uh, some article, some, something that they got in the war that they, that, that they, uh, that they took off a German soldier. And, um, and so, so this was normal in battle that they would do this. And so they're going through the bodies. And can you imagine these Philistines they turn over and say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. This, he's dressed different than the others. This is one of Saul's boys. Say, hey, guys, we, get, we got one of the king's sons here. And then they would say, hey, we got another one over here. And they found the third one. They got him. And then finally somebody came across the body of Saul himself. And they said, we got Saul. Saul is dead. Oh, they began to rejoice. Oh, they began to, I can, I can just see them cheering and, and, and excited about it. The Bible says that they treated Saul and his sons with complete disregard. Verse 9 says, and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor 
and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of, of other idols and among the people. They took the head of King Saul. They cut it off and they, and, uh, they took it. They went around to the cities around the area claiming, we've killed Saul. We've defeated uh, the Israelites. We've destroyed them. And here's their trophy, the head of King Saul. Now, before we, before we you know, give him too bad of a, of, a, of, a, of a thought, isn't that exactly what David did with Goliath? He did the same thing. Cut his head off and held it up as a trophy. That's what they did. Then they took the bodies. It says uh, that they, uh, in verse 10, and they put his armor in the house of Ashdod, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. The victory is complete. King Saul is beheaded, and he's, his body is fixed to a wall. I think back in old Western days when they used to put bodies of criminals out in front of the jail in, in, a, in a casket. You've seen pictures like that. They were, they were displaying the bodies of their enemy. And what a victory this was for them. But something happened. In verse 11, the Bible says, And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there and they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. They went and they got the bodies of Saul and his sons. And they actually, because they were already mutilated, they, they tried to treat them in a respectful way. They burnt them and they took their bones and they buried them in a special place. I'm not a great military tactician. But having spent some time in the army, I, I, I think sometimes from a military point of view, and I began to ask myself the question, why the men of Jabesh Gilead? I mean, think about what they did. Israel has just been soundly defeated. The king is dead. His sons are all dead. The armies have fled. The people who lived in the neighboring towns there, they've fled. The Philistines have have, have, have taken control and occupying those cities. But as soon as these men heard what happened, they got together the supplies they needed, they got their uh, other men together, and they marched through the night. They didn't wait till morning. They didn't try to get any other towns to go with them. They didn't try to kind of, kind of uh, uh, you know, you, you, uh, um, regather what soldiers might have been left as who had fled? None of that. They didn't ask anybody to help them. These men were, were not necessarily soldiers, or they would have been with the army. These were farmers. These were, 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 were ranchers. These were these were, were, were people who worked in the in the in the 
in the, in the stores. These are, these are people who, they were the people of Jabesh Gilead. They're going to march into a place where their army has just been annihilated and their king has been killed. What if they come in contact with the Philistine army? Didn't seem to matter. They didn't seem to care about that. Something was motivating these guys. Something was, 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 was putting them above everybody else in Israel. No other town jumped up and said, we're going to go get Saul. Just them. So I got very curious. I started, I started thinking, what, what, what is it? What, 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 what do I not see here? What motivated them? So I began to look up Jabesh Gilead, you know, every place where it's mentioned in the Bible. And I want to show you something. I believe I found the answer. Go back with me to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. I mean, 1 Samuel. Chapter 11. The context here is uh, Saul has just become king. He's a brand new king. In fact, he's so new of a king, he's still working in his field. But the Ammonites, led by Nahash, invaded northern Israel. And because Jabesh Gilead was a, was a city kind of on the edge of Israel, it's the first town they come to in order to invade. The Bible says that Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. They're surrounded by an army much larger than their own population. They're a small town, and the army surround them and said, Okay, we're, you know, uh, we're going to take you. And they said, What do we need to do to surrender? What, what, what are the terms? Give us terms. We can't fight you. We can't defeat you. We know that. So tell us what, what you take as terms of surrender. He said, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. And Nahash of the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for reproach upon all Israel. Here's the terms of of surrender. You need to pluck out the right eye of every person in Jabesh Gilead. That means you're not only going to pluck out your own eye, but your wives and your children. Think about this for a moment. Now we read it as a story. We say, you know, was it, well, it was real. This is the Bible. This is the inspired word of God. It was real. And these men are faced with the concept of plucking out their little girl's eye, plucking out their son's eye, plucking out their, you know, you know, their parents, their grandparents, every baby. What a horrific thing. And he said, you pluck out your eyes, give them to us. We want to pile them up, probably near the gate to the city, as a reproach. We want it to be so horrific that every other town that hears that we're coming says, did you hear about what they did up at Jabesh? 
Did you hear how, how feared the people of Jagesh felt toward the, toward, uh, the, toward, uh, the Ammonites? They were willing to pluck out their own eyes. Remember the convincing and complete victory that God gave the Israelites when they crossed Jordan and fought against Jericho. And because of that victory, other towns along the way were trying to figure out how can we surrender, how can we give in, how can we... They didn't want to face Israel. That's exactly what the Ammonites were looking for, to be so feared. When word gets to Israel about what they did at Jabesh Gilead, people will be begging to give up and not fight them. And invading armies used to do that all the time. Genghis Khan was known for the vicious way he would win battles. So they set out the terms of surrender. It says in verse 3, And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers unto all the coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Now, Nahash must have been such an arrogant leader. They said, would you give us a week? Give us seven days. Let's see if we can find somebody to, to help us. Could you imagine... Could you imagine Colonel Travis at the Alamo asking Santa Ana, hey, give us a month. You know, just, just wait. Um, Houston's getting an army together. Give us a chance. See if we get somebody to help us. No way in the world. But this man agrees. It's almost like, I remember when I was a kid and two kids might get in a fight. I'm an older kid with a younger kid and the young kids say, my brother's going to you know, gonna get you. And the old kids sometimes would say, well, go get your brother. Let's have it out right now. Go, go get him. I think that's exactly what Nahash was doing. Nahash said, uh, you want seven days? Go ahead. You get anybody you can. We'll just defeat them all right now. You know? And so they send messengers from Jabesh. We got seven days to try to gather some help. And they send messengers. It says, Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul, the town where Saul lived, and told the tidings in the ears of the people, and all the people lift up their voices and wept. They were broken hearted for what was going on at Jabesh. It says, And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. Saul said, What aileth? the people that they weep. He goes, what's going on? What's going on? Why is everybody crying? It says, and they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. Said, Listen, this is the word they just brought to us and they, they're telling us what's going on there and it's, it's horrific. It says, in verse 6, and the Spirit of God came upon Saul. When he heard those tidings, and his anger was, was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces. You, you understand that an ox, or a yoke of oxen, two, 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 they, were, uh, they were vital for the work there in their day. They, 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 were, their, they were their heavy equipment. They were their, 
there was they plowed they 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 were their 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 equipment they they were they were what what did the work they were vital to the farmers so he takes two oxen cuts them up in pieces gives those pieces those bloody pieces to messengers and say now you go around all this area you tell everybody that if you don't show up to fight we're going to do this to your oxen I know it's a horrible thought, but I thought, what if that would work for church? You know, take a dog around and show, we're going to do this to your dog. If you don't, no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just, I'm not suggesting that. I love my dog. Okay. But they did. They did. They went around and they showed these pieces of oxen. So we're going to do this to yours if you don't show up in the Bible tells us. Verse 7, he took yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. And we numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel, were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh Gilead, and they were glad. So they go back home and they say, Saul's coming. By, 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 by midday tomorrow when the sun is hot, he'll, he'll be here. He'll be here. Now, they did something I thought was very interesting. Verse 10 says, Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you, and ye shall do with us as uh, all that seemeth good unto you. They say, We're going to surrender tomorrow. They told uh, the Ammonites, Okay, we'll, we'll come out tomorrow. We'll give up. You do whatever you want to us. They didn't tell them Saul was on the way. I don't know, they may have partied that night. They may have rejoiced that night. They may have had a feast that night. They said, what a great victory this is going to be. But the Bible tells us that the next day, it says, verse 11, it was so on the morrow, that Saul put the people in three companies. And they came into the midst of the hosts in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. It was such a crushing defeat that two guys weren't even fleeing together. They were all just, whoever got away was by themselves. It's interesting, he says, and when Saul was chosen to be king, there were some people who were against it who didn't have good things to say about Saul. And it says in verse 12, And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. So the guys, the guys who said no, the guys said we don't want Saul, they said we're gonna put, we'll, just, we'll just execute them right now. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day. For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. 
Then came Samuel to the, to the people. Come, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace, offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now, folks, this all basically been laying the foundation here. And if I put it this way, this is all introduction. So let me preach for just a few moments. These people were motivated. The men of Jabesh Gilead were motivated what Saul had done for them. They were without hope. They had no chance. They were going to be destroyed. They were going to have to pluck out the eyes of their children until Saul showed up. And they loved Saul. And they were indebted to Saul. May I tell you something? I was lost on my way to hell. And had no hope. I was raised up in a Catholic family. I believe that just doing my best, trying to live right, being baptized as a baby, that was the best chance I had to maybe get to heaven. And then I found out that Jesus came for me. I found out that Jesus left heaven and came and died upon a cross. And when this kid had no hope in this world, no chance whatsoever, Jesus came. He gave me what I needed. He provided for me a way of salvation. He defeated the enemy. He so completely won the battle that I can walk in freely. People say salvation is free. It's never been free. Someone else paid an awful price for it. It's free to me only because Jesus paid the price. These folks were motivated by the fact that Saul came for them when they had no hope. Jesus came for me when I had no hope. So why on earth would I hesitate for one second to do whatever Jesus asks of me? Why for one second would I say, well, no, I know, I know Jesus died for me on the cross. I know he saved me. And every one of you know that. Everyone can say those words. But I've met people. I've met people. I mean, people, people that I've led the Lord myself that then later on go say, well, you know, I'm glad I'm saved and everything, but don't, don't, don't push it. I'm glad I get to go to heaven, but don't ask any more of me. I, I, I'm, you know. No understanding, no appreciation for what Christ has done for them. Folks, on November 22nd, 1975, I bowed my head and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I got it. I understood it. It was real to me. And from that day to this, I haven't looked back. I'm not saying I've been perfect. I'm not saying that I've never been discouraged or I've never uh, been weak. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that my heart desire, though, is to show my Lord and Savior how much I love Him because of what He's done for me. I believe the greatest motive for us to serve God is appreciation and gratitude for what He's done for us. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. The songwriter got it right. 
You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Folks, we have no right to not march at the beckoning of Jesus Christ. I don't know what he'll ask you to do on a personal level. He has this man who is scared to death to stand before people and try to say a word. He asked me to be a preacher. I would have given you many if I could have just kind of bowed out of that one and taken on something else. I don't know what he'll ask of you. Maybe all these he ask of you is just would you go soul winning? Would you talk to your neighbor? Would you tithe? Would you just be a, a decent church member? Would you be faithful to church? Maybe that's all he's going to ask of you. But there should be no question that we would do what he wants us to do. The men of Jabesh Gilead were, 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 were lost. They, were, they, they had no hope. There was no chance they could get out of this. A small town surrounded by an army. And the only way out was to pluck out the eyes of their children and their spouses. And I can't imagine how I would have felt looking at my children and thinking I'd have to do that. Now I'm a grandparent. I can't imagine looking at my grandchildren and thinking about having to do that. So they meant it when they appreciated Saul for what he did for them. And when the time came, they didn't ask anybody else to go with them. They didn't gather an army. They didn't say, I'll go if you go. They didn't call the next town and say, would you come help us? It's all the valiant men arose. In the middle of the night, when they first heard the news, they got up, got their supplies, they started marching. What about... What about the, the, the Philistine army? No, what about Saul? Well, what about what they've done to our army? What about he, what he did for me? They were motivated. Now I'll give you one more piece of information that I think is just, is just, just incredible. I don't know how they celebrated Saul's victory over the, over, uh, the Ammonites. I don't know if they had Saul days every Every, uh, uh, every year, you know, and they reenacted the battle and here's King Saul and is there all the, the Ammonites on there. I don't know what they did. I don't, I don't know if they named everything after Saul. It was the Saul Library and the Saul, and, you know, the Saul Food Store. And it was the, you know, I don't know what they did to, to honor Saul. But 45 years passed from the time that Saul went to help them and they marched to take Saul down from the, from, from the wall. Now, wait a minute. Think with me for a moment. If you were a 50-year-old leader of Jabesh Gilead back when Nahash came, you're 95 years old now. I believe with all of my heart those weren't the men who marched. I'm not saying none of them marched. 
But I don't believe they were the ones who marched. I believe it was their kids that marched. I believe it was their kids that took up their weapons that were going to get Saul. Because that town had so, um, had so lived out their love for Saul that they showed their children their love for Saul. And I think that's one of the ways that we <clears throat> fail a lot in America today. I hear people talk all the time about, well, second-generation Christians. Second-generation Christians aren't as dedicated as first-generation Christians. Well, maybe it's because we have not communicated to them <clears throat> our love for God. Oh, they know that you love, and forgive me, I'm going to get on it again, but it's all right. And I'm not against it. I love sports. But you've communicated to them a love for your favorite football team. You've, uh, you've uh, communicated to your children love for your favorite baseball team. They know you love to golf. Whatever it is, or whatever hobby it might be. Mom comes home and tries to get the kid to work on a Sunday school paper. She didn't want to do it. Dad doesn't go to church. So why do I have to do it? And he's coming to say, Dad, would you owe me this? No, no, that's have your mom help me. That's mom's stuff. But son, the big game is, come on, sit with me. We'll get our chips and we'll get ready to go. And we got the TV on and we're all set. Yeah. That's man's stuff. And we've just destroyed in many cases. Now, I'm not saying you personally have done that here. But in many cases across America, we have destroyed our children's love for Christ. Because of the poor examples we've set for them. Those of you who are young and you got little, 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 you know, little children, someday they'll make choices about serving God. And you better start setting the example now. If you haven't done it by the time they're teenagers, it's going to be hard to get their, get their heart at that point. These men of Jabesh Gilead taught their children to love Saul. Oh, how we need to teach our children to love God. Amen. And the greatest way to do that is the example we set for them. Amen. I'd like to think, had I been in Jabez Gilead that night when news, news came, I'd like to think I would have put on my shoes, and got my coat, and got whatever weapons I might have took a few supplies and marched on to the wall at Bethshem to be one of those that would take down the body of Saul and bring him back for a proper burial. But I'd like to think even more than that, that there's nothing that God could ask me to do for him that I wouldn't be willing to do. Because when I was without hope, he came for me. Father, thank you so very much for the word of God. Thank you that simply understanding the account of the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead will help us to understand what our motivation ought to be. Father, I pray that this evening you'd stir us
Stir us to appreciate what you've done for us. Appreciate whatever the story of our salvation is. How you brought the message to us. Who you used to bring it to us. What circumstances it involved. And that we'd pause long enough to be thankful for what you have done for us and not take it lightly. But be so thankful that all you must do is tell us what you want. All you must do is help us to understand, to see what you desire for our lives. And the answer would already be yes. We know that Jesus paid it all. So we know that all to him I owe.